You're listening to a Trav Market Media Network podcast, a podcast designed for you, the travel professional. Is there something you would like to hear or do you have feedback? Please write to us at podcast at travmarketmedia.com. Again, that's podcast with an S at travmarketmedia.com. Hello and happy rerun day Monday. These episodes released on Mondays are throwbacks to the past episodes of Travel Radio Podcast. You may even hear them mentioned as travel agent interview as that's what the first 75, maybe, I don't know, 50 episodes were under travel agent interview. Uh, But these episodes are some of the ones that I thought were really valuable and that had great content, but that you may not want to scroll back or even be able to scroll back in your podcast player 150 or 200 episodes. So I'm going to rerun some things that I think are amazing and that the guests are worth listening to. And that could be a resource to you, the travel planner, or even if you are a traveler listening and you want to find a travel planner or had not considered using one, you might find someone with a great knowledge base that could help you get on your next expedition, cruise, honeymoon, gal pal getaway. I don't know. Whatever it is you're looking for, I hope that you find it on Travel Radio Podcast and that you, um, yeah, that you all recommend this to a friend and leave a review if you have a moment. It really helps me personally um, as far as the podcast getting found in the search engines. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great day and enjoy. This is your Travel Radio Podcast, dedicated to connecting you, the traveler, to travel professionals. You will hear from authors, destination specialists, linguists, CEOs, and travel advisors that can turn these experiences into your vacation of a lifetime. Questions? Comments? Suggestions? Please email info at travelradiopodcast.com. If you like what you are hearing, please leave us a review. Now, enjoy today's audio journey on the Travel Radio Podcast. Welcome to Travel Radio. I just lost what I thought was a great take, so I'm trying it again. Uh, My window is open and it's blowing. The wind is blowing things off the table, so if you hear some papers go to the floor, that's because it's 74 degrees, partly cloudy, and not that humid. So I am sorry for my friends and family where it's 100 degrees, 99% humidity, and it feels like it's drinking soup. You should have taken me up on my offer to come visit. Although my in-laws did, they are here, and I'm very thankful for that. And I hope that they're having a little bit of a break from the weather in South Carolina right now. Uh, To move on to relevant topics to today's episode, uh, today is Catherine Parker Magyar, and she is a travel writer for Forbes, Architectural Digest. Her bylines include Britain Co., and she just really puts... um, I don't know. When you read her writing, it feels like you get an authentic, it feels like you're with her in her travels. It's, it's not like reading. I feel like some travel journalism is like reading, um, a Wikipedia entry where it's just very factual. Hers have, you can tell her personality and you'll be able to hear in this interview. Um, I hope she doesn't mind Catherine. I apologize if you get offended by this, but I kind of assigned her a spirit animal and I likened her to just a youthful, 
puppy in a full body wag that's super excited to talk about travel. Like, hey, you like travel? I like travel. Let's talk travel. And that is what it's like to interview Catherine Parker Magyar. So that's exciting to me. Uh, you'll enjoy it. Just uh, keep on listening. It is long, but it's worth it. So it might be like a three dog walker this episode or like three commutes to work, but um, worth listening to the whole thing. She's wonderful. In some business of housekeeping, we did notify the winner of the Cozy Phones um, contest that we did for uh, signing up for the newsletter, and I'm hoping that lady gets back soon so that I can announce her name. Um, and if that doesn't work out, we'll get we'll pick somebody else. And then I have an additional product from Cozy Phones to review, which I really enjoy um, because I mean they're good products, and mostly for me, a product makes me happy when it solves my problems. And I wasn't going to open it because I was going to do this full, you know, very professional opening of the package, but the new product, like I had a problem yesterday. I opened this thing up and used it, solved problems. So I'll do like some real life application with that coming up. Um, and then I want to also apologize for not putting out episodes super regularly this summer because it is summer break with my kids and it's important for us to spend time together and for them to spend time with my husband and for us to be able to spend time with our family. Um, and then I also had clients traveling, a very large family with a lot of moving parts. So um, I just, you know, when I have clients traveling, I try to be really attentive to them and I just, I needed to get that done. So come September when the kids are back in school, I will put out Loads of episodes with great content, and um, you'll enjoy them. And lastly, let me talk about Joe Sanok. I did an interview with Joe Sanok, and it was called Aha! Wild Child Travel Planning. And that was for... Well, he's a licensed therapist, counselor, and he has a podcast of his own called Practice of the Practice, and there is a link to it in the show notes, and it's for mental health practitioners to operate their own private practice better or to pick up some tips and tricks on you know how to, how to counsel and things like that. So he posted the episode as a reverse uh, interview on his website this week, and um, and it's been really doing fantastic. So I just wanted to say thank you to Joe. If you want to listen to that episode to help possibly help you plan travel with your kids better, um, then that's a great resource. And it is in the show notes. Um, you, you can find that in the bottom of the, of the episode page or also just from the homepage, you can find it. Uh, lastly, I do have a number of podcasts lined up for the fall. And if you have any suggestions, comments, things you're looking for, feel free to reach out to me on email. It is info at travelradiopodcast.com. Uh, and if any of those that I have recorded are actually ones that you want to hear, I'll just reprioritize the order of them. Or if you're looking for me to hunt something down, I do know a lot of people in the travel industry and might be able to uh, answer some questions for you or get somebody on the podcast to answer them for you. And I guess that's the last of my updates. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode of New Destinations for the Experienced Traveler with Katherine Parker Magyar. 
Hello and welcome to Travel Radio. I am your host, Megan Chapa, and I am privileged today to have Catherine Parker Magyar on the program with me. So welcome, Catherine. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, this is great. Will you take a minute to introduce yourself? Yes. So um, my name is Catherine Parker Magyar. I'm based in New York City. I'm a travel writer. Um, I also write about culture and literature, et cetera, too, but um, I've really been focusing on travel the past few years. Um, been to all 50 states, like nearly 50. I think I might be at 50 countries mm. at the end of the month. But um, I really focus on, like, culture. Um, culturally immersive travel is really important now. Like, it's something that really appeals, as well as Instagram opportunities. But mm. we can move past that for, like, <laughs> why people want to travel. Yeah. Um, so yeah, getting a sense of the history of a place and, you know, I think travel really is other people. So in my travels, I always, I mean, thankfully I like, I'm pretty talkative. And so I try to make friends and sort of, you know, get it, get people's stories and how, and, um, I don't know, just sort of how people live day in, day out and like where you should go. And I also love nature. So focusing on destinations around the world that are more remote or, you know, sort of like the last true wilderness and different continents and um, also adventure travel, like, I don't know, like bungee jumping, husky sledding, safaris, mm. um, any sort of, I feel like those kind of experiences are really perfect to write about because they tend to be, they can be sort of unique to the region, mm. but also mm-hmm. as a traveler, I feel like they're a good way to sort of organize your trip because you know, you're going to be fully present where you are. Like if you're in the Arctic circle and like, I don't know like sledding behind a reindeer, like you're not really going to be scrolling through your phone. No. So, you know, those kind of experiences I yeah. really like to focus on. Um, yeah, and if you're and bungee jumping, lot. that phone's going. Oh, my God, I did bungee jumping in Japan, and I did not really understand what they were, the instructions at all in Japanese. This is when I was younger. <laughs> and you I jumped was in anyway. High yeah. I jumped anyway, but I was like, if I'm going to die at the age of 16, Osaka is like not a bad way to go. But I lived, <laughs> but... I'm actually writing about it now, and everyone always really, like, laments of social media is, like, ruining the world, but I actually find that, you know, in my industry, and, like, I do make friends in sort of far-flung parts of the globe, and social media really allows me to feel connected to everyone I've met still, like, via Facebook and Instagram, and, you know, if I, if I had had a Facebook when I visited um, Japan and stayed with these host families, mm-hmm. I think I would still be in touch with them because we would have become Facebook friends. And I think people sort of underestimate how much of a tool that is for keeping in touch with people because mm-hmm. particularly like you change your email or, you know, you, you can file your business cards, but like say something happens to your contacts, it's harder to like maintain an open dialogue and sort of keep up with people. Yeah. Um, on your, if you have to be, I mean, I have friends in China that I email with almost every other week because they don't have Facebook or Instagram and it is, Uh, and it's harder, you know? So, so this is interesting (laughs) because I agree with you. I mean, first off, I mean, there are some downsides to social media, right? Like I don't want my kids pictures out there, but they get out there. So there you go. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, technology is so good that we know we're living in the UK for a little while, but my kids have a relationship with their grandparents and their aunts and uncles and cousins because technology is so good. So yeah, it's making the world smaller and there are some good things about that. Um, yeah, but, and it gives voice to a lot of people who are disenfranchised. You know, there's, I mean, obviously there's also like 
Facebook tampering with the election, which is not so good. But, you know, on the flip side of that, there, it does connect people. It does connect people around the world. I think I'm personally responsible for about 10 new Instagram accounts in the Caribbean. Because, you know, people are on Facebook. I'm like, you got to make an Instagram. I was like, if you're looking at sunsets like this every single day, yeah. you know. <laughs> and, it's, and it's nice because then people can sort of keep up with your travels. And for me, it's fun because I do have, like, a pretty international, um, you know, I have, in, like, international followers from, like, that I follow back from around the world and seeing, you know, people in China are really obsessed with what's going on in Finland or I don't know I have friends in Kenya who are really interested in what was happening in Morocco so just as a travel writer it's interesting to see how different destinations like speak to different different people and there are definitely like geographical trends for you know popularity with with different countries I know we'll talk about that later but you know some places are just not as popular yet with Americans as they are with like Europeans or Asian um, travelers so it's interesting yeah I just signed up for the world travel market in London and to look at their lineup um, it's it's interesting because it it talks about you know where is the millennial uh, person from China going where is the millennial from you know this region going Mm -hmm. which are just not places that the U.S. millennial is going. Um, no, and Finland was a place that was a total revelation for me in that maybe we're jumping ahead. So that's all right. That yet. Um, but yeah, I was in the Finnish Lapland. So we, I flew into Helsinki, which was really cool. Um, but the, you know, the trip is really centered around um, Arctic luxury, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, I mean, I like, I love like Nordic style, just mm-hmm. sort of, it's sort of streamlined and like very like elegant, but then, I mean, it is absolutely amazing, um, Lapland, because you can drive for hours and hours and hours, and you're supposed to see trees and snow, trees and snow. Yeah. And it's almost, it reminded me of, um, of being in Kenya in the Maasai Mara, yep. that sort of vast openness, and you feel like you're, you know, you, you get a sense of your own place in the world, you know, where it's, I don't, you, I don't, when I'm surrounded by that kind of, like, I think it's like less... I think it's like the expanse. It's like the utter expanse of nature and like it's so untouched and it's, you know, they have fells, same to Scotland, like carved out by the Ice Age, which aren't as dramatic as the Alps. Mm. But, you know, I think it's a sense of scale. And we went to Santa Claus's village. Santa Claus is Finnish, FYI. People are extremely (laughs) proud of this fact. And we saw like where the most popular, um, basically we went to Santa's mailbox, his post office, which was cool. They have like a legitimate Christmas countdown. Oh. Um, and it was the countries that were visiting. I mean, Russia obviously is so close, but it was like, yeah, like Russia, China. I don't even think America, the U.S. wasn't in the top seven or eight. Oh, yeah. And I think Lapland has become popular also because of, I think, Instagram, even though I have my own thoughts on Instagram influencers, which are like, Sometimes I, I think they're, mm. well, whatever gets people to travel, I think is great. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's some knowledge of Lapland, which obviously like expands across multiple countries, but, you know, less so about Finland and Finnish Lapland, even though Lapland and Finland has like, you know, they're the most, um, they're the most offerings for like places to stay. Mm. And, you know, Finland is so, it's not, it's not a top destination for Americans yet. There was a Vice article it was so funny talking about this guy on Reddit, 
you know, was sharing, it was like, what's the greatest lie your parents ever told you? And he was like, <laughs> my parents told me that Finland didn't exist and it was invented by the Japanese and Nokia cell phones for deep sea fishing routes. <laughs> and like Helsinki exists, but people who are living in Helsinki, like don't realize that they're in Sweden. So like, really you know, funny. I thought that was hilarious. I think most people obviously took it as like, that's so funny, but like the fact that that even went viral and now there are like subreddits about true believers and it's like, <laughs> no, Finland does exist and it's it's like very, it's beautiful. And like, there's such a, I feel like every country that you go to can always pick up a sense of like the culture and mainly you can sort of get that from, from like the vibe of the people a lot, you know, like you obviously can't summarize one country and be like, well, the people are like this, but you can definitely, I think you can pick up on sense, like a sense of humor, mm-hmm. a general shared sense of humor, like, you know, by a, basically just like the manners and like the societal like I customs there, you know, Finnish yet. people tend. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Finnish people are, tend to be more reserved. Mm-hmm. And this, I, this guy told a story. It was like a, a Finnish man says, I love you once in his life. And that is on his wedding day. He says, I love you. And I will let you know if the situation changes. <laughs> Obviously, I can't speak to marrying a Finnish man, but I did ask for dating advice. And the advice that I got from two of my Finnish friends was, I should barely speak. Like, that you should barely answer. speak. Yes. Like, say as, <laughs> like, reveal as little as possible about yourself. <laughs> Which That's is probably a reflection of like their opinion advice. on me too. No, it was hilarious. <laughs> I was like, you're right. They're like, it's important to be mysterious. I'm like, I don't know if people are going to think I'm mysterious or boring, but like, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, that's, I'm okay. So if that's the case, you better hope it's an arranged marriage and that people know you, you know, each of you better than you're allowing it to be revealed on your own. So I know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So it's it really cool. Oh, good. Yeah, I mean, so it's interesting because a couple things. One, I met a child today that was terrified of Santa Claus, and he was concerned that Santa was going to break into his house and come into his room because how does oh he get God. into these houses? Yeah, so there's that. And then the other thing is that um, my sense of humor, and which I think that I'm pretty sarcastic, but the British have a different dry type of sarcasm. Like, the, like they oh, give really? a, oh yeah, they give these funny, um, you know, like they'll give a compliment, but it's not a compliment. So, <laughs> Cause they're so charming and polite. They can't, even when they're insulting you, they're going to like make you somewhat feel good about yourself for the first five seconds. Well, yes. Yeah. So, or like in Scotland, we were taking a, a, a duck tour this summer, uh, and the duck tour guide the driver, he couldn't come. So, th- so the guy who owns the company actually came and was driving the boat and he's, they call him like, I don't know, crazy something or other is his name. Like, uh, and he looks like a Viking. He's got this crazy beard and he didn't make eye contact with anyone. And t- uh, we thought he was just a guest. We didn't even know uh. he was driving it. And then, so he's just driving and then another guy gets on and he's very witty and he said that the guy who was supposed to be driving the boat, they said, well, to put it politely, he's a fine bunch of lads. As in, oh my God. you know, like he's got multiple personalities is what he's trying to say. He's a, he's a fine bunch of lads. He's got a lot of personalities <laughs> in there. So yeah. So just things like that. And I haven't quite cracked it yet. And I'm not quite sure what they think about me. Like even at my church, I'm sure that they pray for me a lot. So <laughs> yeah. And oh some of you are probably listening right now. Like guys, prayers accepted. It's cool. <laughs> I was told in Dominica, um, the lady Norma, who I became so close with, she drove me, um, around for pretty much a week 
in Dominica, which we spent a lot of time together, but on the van, it said it was like for true believers only. And oh. we became really, really close. And she prayed for me. She was like, I'm going to pray for you. She's like, I just hope that you stop your revelry and you find God. She's like, but you know, I thank God for bringing, for bringing you to me. I'm like, I love you. Thank you. Pray for me all of the time. That's right. I appreciate that. <laughs> and before a meal, she thanked God for me. I was like, I'm pretty positive. Nobody has ever thanked the Lord for me before that I've known for a week. That so. is really sweet. That's awesome. It was really, really, Dominica was so another place that Americans really don't go. And a lot of people from Switzerland actually go to Dominica in Germany because of the, I mean, it's amazing, amazingly mountainous and it's a lot of like, I mean, well, it's hold on. Before we get into that, I want you to brag on yourself for a minute. Tell us some of oh, your God. bylines. You have a pretty impressive resume and people should know that you're not some, now no offense to travel, bloggers. There is a place for the travel blogger. You have an impressive degree and, uh, you know, your graduation stance and your bylines. Tell us all the brag on yourself. We want to be impressed. Go. Okay. Um, so I was an English major, Hobart, Williamson colleges in upstate New York. And then I'd worked as a reporter. Um, it was my first job really growing up. I worked in at the local newspapers. So Mm -hmm. I think I started out sending like advertising clippings and then my first writing assignments for obituaries, which were extremely stressful. mm, The last word. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, if you mess this up, you know, there's, there's a bereaved audience reading this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just, I really credit starting out in newspapers and I still contribute um, travel features for the recorder newspapers is really helping me with, you know, I think it's the difference between blogging and travel writing is um, bloggers don't have edit- don't have editors, you know. So there's less of a. I mean, great bloggers, you know, they they can they're fine without it. But mm-hmm. it's really nice to be able to sort of make sure that everything is fact track and actually like there's more there's more from an ethical perspective. You know, it's supposed to be it's supposed to be less subjective in mm-hmm. a way. Mm-hmm. Like I've read stories. And sometimes it can be hard to discriminate between what's a blog and what's a publication, Mm -hmm. you know, until sometimes you're halfway through and you're like, wait, I don't even know if this is 100%, like if this is a reliable narrator. But yeah, starting out in um, newspapers, you know, really taught me deadlines, which, you know, I think every writer hates deadlines. (laughs) So I would love to say that I'm perfect at them. I'm like, try to be. But also like, what's the hook? What's the first sentence? Why do people want to read this? Because mm-hmm. I think that with travel writing, unless you've already booked a flight to Ireland, you know, or that's something that's like really top of, I'm just choosing Ireland because I did a Dublin city guide. People aren't going to read, you know, your city guide to Dublin unless it's like funny or smart or like you want to make it interesting yeah, for the reader yeah. and engaging and ground it, ground it in some sort of like shared experience. I don't know. So I, um, yeah, I well, started there's out a lot reporter. of product out there. So you got to make a good product. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and like, you know, Roundup's got a really bad rap because sometimes it can be like, here are the 10 most undiscovered islands. And then it's like, one, you know, Dominica, you know, two, South Caicos. But then, you know, when Roundups are done well, it can be like more engaging. There's more of like a deep dive into each place. Or for me, I'm always interested in like the history of, particularly in the Caribbean, because history is so, it's so interesting and like very inspiring to like, I think now is a really important time to visit that part of the world, not only because, you know, it's, tourism is, like, really appreciated because it's oftentimes, it's like, in Turks and Caicos, it's like, you know, our only export is happiness. Yeah. So, you know, the, the economies are, are reliant upon it, but also because 
a lot of museums and heritage centers are opening up in different places in the Caribbean now um, because, you know, a lot of the history of, um, of the people there wasn't really recorded. So when I, was in, um, when I was in Dominica, I was there for the grand opening of the Calinago Heritage Center. Mm. Um, and there are the indigenous people of Dominica. And, you know, they um, also known as like Caribs, and they existed, like these people existed all over the Caribbean. But in like 1503, Spain passed this edict that if you captured a Carib, like they could be your slave, essentially. Mm. And mm. they were wiped out of the smaller, flatter islands. But in Dominica, because it's so mountainous, you know, they survived, they persevered. And, you know, there's a lot of Dominican pride. You know, when I was there, like the speech that was given by um, the chief was, you know, like we survived, the, we survived the conquistadors, we survived hurricanes. And, you know, I was there and that was the first, that was the, yeah, it was the grand opening of this amazing museum. And, I mean, there are just so many initiatives now for people to share their culture that's, like, you know, spearheaded by the people and by the governments, like, in the Bahamas, and this exists elsewhere in the Caribbean, but it's called people-to-people experience, where, like, sure. I went to a Bahamian family on my first night, like, they hosted me for dinner, you oh. know, and it was amazing because it was, like, their, it was, like, friends, too, and, like, I don't know, Bahamian culture is so so cool. And they're like, you know, we want people to know that there's more to the Bahamas than like senior frogs or cruises. Sure. And I think that's like a honestly like quite racist way of looking at the Caribbean is like, oh, like if I'm going to go for culture, I have to go to Europe. Like, and that's not true. Like there's culture in the Caribbean, there's culture in Hawaii, there's culture, there's culture in these places that you're looking at as resort vacations. You're just not, you're choosing either choosing not to engage with that, you know, because you're not leaving the resort or also, it's also it can be a more complicated history where you sort of have to, you know, you have to sort of grapple with the fact that slavery did exist. And, like, it's more, it's more of a disservice to everyone if you don't, if you mm. don't ask questions, if you don't want to learn. So there's you know? some, so I think there's that's some, been interesting. Like, sorry, let me, just, uh, <clears throat> let me just break in here one second and say, there, I mean, this is a problem with bad journalism, right? This is a problem where yeah. we tell people you leave the resort in Mexico and you're going to die. You're going to get shot. Mm-hmm. You know? So, so there's, I mean, in the same way that you should read a reputable and do some research on whose travel products you're reading, um, I we often have on this program, and by we, I mean me. Um, <laughs> I just we is feels like I'm doing it with somebody. So, I, <laughs> oh, that came out real bad. Okay, anyway, um, yeah, I hope you got some chuckles there, folks. Um, if, on the same note where, you know, you're reading, you need to read reputable, incredible travel journalism. There are people and that professionals that plan trips to destinations. I host a lot of them that are specialists and have, you know, lived or been to these regions or taken the travel um, courses run by their boards of tourism uh, on what they want to show you and where, who the reputable, reputable suppliers are and, you know, what what you should look for as a scam because anybody can put up a website anybody can put up a blog mm-hmm. and i mean it's anyway so all that to say in the same way that as a listener or a consumer you should be reading good journalism it's fun to plan travel but know what you're consuming because you know i think if you can score a home cooked meal in any any destination that you're visiting you're taking, you are like ingesting, taking into your body a piece of the culture that you wouldn't get mm-hmm. if you just went to a restaurant. And there are options for those every place you go. And some families like, um, 
like in Puglia, Italy, there's, you know, all these farm stays where you can go and stay with a family and, and learn their family recipes and those sort of things. Um, but you might not get that if you just, you know, kind of stay at a resort, you know, book it on your yeah. own. Like, and, and it, travel planning is fun. If there's no problem to plan it on your own, but if it you're is. concerned with safety, find a professional. So, and you know, I've, I don't know, the New York Times travel writer last year who went to like 52 places, I think, mm-hmm. um, in a single year, she, in her like sort of final article, it was sort of a reflection of the year. She was like, people always ask me what I learned, you know, and I tell them, you know, people are fundamentally good around the world. And mm-hmm. I really believe that. And I have found that a hundred percent everywhere I've been. And like, just going back to sort of people, oh, it's dangerous. Like, I don't know. I, I published a story on Mexico this summer and it's funny because it, it got picked up on various news outlets. And then I looked at some of the comments. And it's like, yeah, if you want to get stabbed, it's like Mexico is a humongous country. Humongous. Like, the border yeah, so, from like yeah. Tulum or Cancun is like a 33 hour drive. That's coast to coast in the United States. I know. And like, it was just, I mean, the lack of information. And then Dominica actually is funny. I was Googling it and I was reading this blog and this is when I was saying, you know, I've read things and I've been like, wait, this isn't very, I don't know, reputable. But so she's this writer and it was one of the first things to pop up because it's so SEO optimized travel is. Um, and she's talking about how she felt sick. And then she goes into this whole thing about how she got burglarized and the whole place was so unsafe. And like, that mm-hmm. was a bad personal experience, mm-hmm. but like Dominica is extremely safe. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. like, it's like, it's annoying that like one person's bad experience or like one bad blog post can just get pushed, pushed to the top. And, and, you know, it's like people, I don't know, there can be a lot of misconceptions. Like I was giving a speech or just like this conference on like how to be a travel writer to like these, um, the college media journal association, oh, cool. which was really interesting. And, you know, one of the, you know, first things I really talked about is like, do you like people? Like, do you, when you travel, because you can travel like a travel writer without being a travel writer, which like I've realized I've been doing since starting this job. I was like, you know, going on assignments to different countries. And like, I was doing this even when I was vacationing. Like, do you like to talk to people? Do you know, do you have, and also I think there are ways that you can be more approachable or like that you can get people to let their guard down with you, which Mm -hmm. I mainly like, it's very British, but like be self-deprecating, you know, like be kind yeah. Be, be, be curious. Don't ask questions so that you sound smart. Ask right. questions that you gen- genuinely want to know the answers to. And oftentimes, like, you know, if you want to, like, have a real conversation with someone, I think it's like this airplane effect where you'll tell a complete stranger truths <laughs> about your life that you won't tell someone you've known for years. But, you know, talk to someone about, like, love, death, heartbreak. That sounds really stressful, but, you know, that, those are the things that everyone connects on. It doesn't matter... You know, if you grew up in Nanyuki in Kenya or New York City, like you've probably been dumped at one point. And I guarantee you that like that's something that people can connect on. And, you know, just finding ways to finding ways to get stories that I don't know. I find that the best things, the best information I always get, it's never like a formal interview. It's always like spending time with people Mm -hmm. talking and then. You know, um, but I guess I never gave you my qualifications. I realized I'm a really bad interview. Um, but yeah, since I went to grad school at the new school and that was super helpful. Like I, I taught every, like aspiring writers, you know, writing is hard because everyone's, a lot of people think that they're good at it. You know what I mean? A lot of people want to be a writer and it's sort of hard to like get the confidence to sort of pursue it mainly as a career, mm-hmm. which is, it's hard, you know, it's hard finance. It can be 
it can be a difficult career to pursue. But for me, going to grad school and being around professionals like in New York City who were like, you are a good writer, you know, and like also being around like fellow, fellow, you know, like, I don't know. My class is actually my degree. I took a lot of philosophy classes, which I was like, this is irrelevant. Like it wasn't at all. Uh And, you know, being like, oh, I'm a philosopher of Greek antiquity. And I'd be like, okay, if you're like a philosopher of Greek antiquity, I can be a writer. I can, I can do that. (laughs) And yeah, so then I like, but my degree, like my, I don't know, my academic background isn't like really in creative writing or journalism. It's really in like literary criticism. Like, you know, my, my, um, thesis in college was like suicidal versus non-suicidal, like American poets and the death drive. And then in grad school, I like, well, I actually like wrote a book, but I'm still working on that. But I think having like being able to read, having, I find, I found that like, it's, I think it's very important to being a good writer. It's like having a good understanding of like English literary history just literary history, like, in general. Mm. Um, I think that, you know, that formal training is really good, and particularly with, like, you know, literary literary criticism, I'd be writing something about, I don't know. I like Irish. I'm obsessed with, like, Irish literature, but I was doing something on, like, Yeats and Seamus Haney, and, you know, you have to be really grounded in fact with that. You have to, you know, you're speaking to, like, an educated, you're writing for an educated audience, so the writing has to be at that level. Mm -hmm. And I found that a lot of the skills that I learned as an English major and as like, you know, a master's in literature, like really have helped me just in my, in my day to day work as a travel writer. Cause you sort of want to bring in a sense of scale and you want to find a way to make something that maybe isn't appealing to everyone, find a way to make it appealing to everyone, I guess. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, and coming, I mean, gosh, the UK, as far as literary homesteads and those sort of things, this is the place. And you just got back, correct? Um, so I lived in London when I was in, um, when I was in college and I loved it. I studied at Imperial for a semester, mm-hmm. but I was just, I was just in Dubai, but I oh, have I actually haven't I been back Dublin. to England in Sorry. forever. Okay. Oh no. Yeah. I actually, I don't know why I keep talking about Dublin because I don't even have travel plans to go to Dublin at this moment. <laughs> Maybe you should. <laughs> I think so. But yeah, so my bylines, like I've um, written for like Architectural Digest, Business Insider, The Week, Insider, Daily Beast, Tasting Table, Leaf Daily, Pop Sugar, and I'm a contributor for Britain Co. and um, Forbes as well, um, cool. producing travel stories. So it's a mix. Um, I got my start at the Recorder Newspapers, which are weekly newspapers in um, northern New Jersey, which I still write for and like... I don't know, it's interesting working with different travel clients, like people are really excited to be featured in print. And like, I do think, you know, I get more emails sometimes from my travel features where people literally have to go open up their laptop or I guess they have smartphones, you know, which yeah. most people do. Just send, but you know, there's a, uh, there's a level of engagement there that's really cool because you're getting more of a broad audience. Like I, for me, I don't, I love a magazine. I love a newspaper. I love a book. There's like a different experience. My husband loves it. a book. So my husband actually, you guys would get along. He actually is getting his PhD in philosophy from Oxford. So you guys would have tons to talk about. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. But he yeah. loves a book. And every time we move, which is every two years, like these books ha- must be carried. And he, you know, he has more books than the last time we moved every time. And so the deal oh is God. you can have the books. I will not carry the books. So... <laughs> So oh, those are really uh, the worst. I have so many books too. And like now 
I just feel like most of my stuff and I keep accumulating things have been like in storage everywhere. And I'm like mainly what I own are books at this point in my life. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. My husband's dreaming of like one of those. So we just came back from Blenheim Palace. I don't know if you've been, we have a membership there. So. Oh my gosh. Especially with the 75th anniversary of D-Day coming up. It, oh, it's just so powerful. And they just got some of Winston Churchill's original paintings back. And um, it's so interesting because he used to paint under a, like a couple pseudo names. And the guy had what, what's the equivalent of millions of dollars. And he would be pumped to have his art accepted to like a little show or to like sell one of his paintings for 30 pounds. Like he, it's, it's cool. So they have some of them now. But um, anyway, they have the long library, which is, as it sounds, something like you would imagine Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Like, you know, she's like zipping down this thing. They probably designed it from this library. That's my husband's dream right there. And sounds like could be yours too. So Yes, I love it. They just also I don't know. I like I'm also one of those people who when I lend a book, like I want it back. Like they, <laughs> I genuinely like feel a connection with my I think I'm partially a hoarder though, which is good because I've given up buying souvenirs from places. I was like this I'm just gonna be the like an old woman in my chat and like living with my tchotchkes and like That's so funny. I don't know. But I so try we to get, switch to artwork. We switched to yes, artwork. I do that too. Yes. I actually like street art a lot. It's yes. been really cool. Exactly. So like, you know, so this is so weird and it seems, I don't know, it's, it's, it's eerie to me. We were just planning a trip to, to Notre Dame. So, uh, Notre oh Dame, if you will. So it's a recording today, April 16th. It, it burned yesterday, April 15th. And we were planning a trip with, with some friends and I actually aired an episode yesterday on Catholic pilgrimages and we talked mm-hmm. about Notre Dame. And then, like, um, it's burning, and I'm standing there. My husband tells me it's on fire, and I'm standing next to a painting of Notre Dame that we bought on the street in Paris. It's just, I mean, and the, I don't know. I'm getting older, and every, like, I cry at everything. So it was just very <clears throat> emotional. But, yeah, anyway. It's shocking. Yeah. It's really shocking. Artwork is a good way to go, folks. That's all I got to say. It is. There you go. There you go. Well, Catherine, let me let me just move us on in the program because we could talk forever about I think everything. I think everything. So I know well, that's all right. So let's um. So let's talk about I know. Do you? I often talk gadgets on the program. Mm-hmm. Is there something you have that you always travel with? So I feel like I'm very much do as I say, not as I do. Because on my last trip, I couldn't find this, but. Oh. <laughs> A portable charger, like not one of the little lipstick-sized ones. Like invest in a $75, like anchor. Yeah. I feel bad because I do like mine and I don't, I forget who makes who makes mine. But it's like, I mean, go on Amazon. Yeah. Amazon Prime it. It's really important. Um, I was in, when I was on Safari, like I think, I mean, extremely embarrassing. I like was using my cracked iPhone and <laughs> it would just keep dying. And then, you know, I forget some, uh, Someone on my trip who like does a lot of like video was like, you got to invest in your career, but he lent me his portable charger. And I was like, thank God, like that's really important. Um, and then also like obviously adapters again, do as I say, not as I do. I end up just bringing every adapter I have because I, you never know. Like when I was in Dubai, well, Dubai was so lux. Like I could have been using any sort of charger, and they would have had it all hooked up. But you know, you don't know where you went. You don't know if you're gonna have a layover somewhere unexpected, and you need that. Yeah. Um, and just I guess a tip I would say is always hold on to your boarding pass because, 
I mean, I'm a travel writer without points. Like, literally, I'm flying so many different airlines, and I do find that, like, they make it really difficult for you to redeem your points. I find it's easier with international airlines. Like, I don't know. Turkish Airlines flies everywhere, and they're really easy to work with, like British Airways, too, Kenya Airways. But then, I don't know, a lot of the American airlines, I've had a really hard time. And what they always ask for is, like, an e-ticket receipt, which maybe you have, maybe you don't, but keep your boarding pass, your physical boarding pass, or screenshot it. I like will print out my physical one because that's what they're going to ask for photos of and people don't hold on to it because mm. they're like, well, I was on the flight. Duh, you can tell I was on the flight. No, yeah. like hold on to those things. Yeah, um, it's so true. I just, I have friends that are coming to the UK and he flies, oh, I mean, crazy, like crazy amounts of trips. And he's, you know, whatever United's highest level is. And they couldn't even get an upgrade. And he has like, I don't know, close to a million points. He's like, how is this possible? So No, it's, yeah. they, I think they make it difficult. I think I'm finally going to get status on Delta. Nice. So thank God. Honestly, I'm like <laughs> on a plane every other week and I've got nothing on nothing. So <laughs> we'll see. I'm obviously, but like I'm, I'm a travel writer and I have difficulty claiming points. And I do think there's a whole other world about points and upgrades and Oh, there is. That there are I'm some podcasts on that too. I mean, the, that, oh my god, there are more yeah. podcasts on traveling on points than there are on anything else. I think so. There you and, go. Yeah, like my friend Ramsey is a travel writer, and he he knows everything. I have friends write for the points guy, and like it's almost like the more I learn, the more I realize how behind I am, and it's mm-hmm. almost like disheartening. But like, make an account whenever. I wish I'd done this because again, it's hard to redeem. But like, if you're staying, you know, Marriott and Hyatt, between the two of them, there are so many different hotels that fall under that yep. umbrella, and you can also do airline points for that. So that's not a gadget, but just try to sign up for everything and buy that's a crazy. portable charger. Yeah, absolutely. Good tips. Okay. So then, uh, do you have any charities that you work with that you want to talk about? I mean, I saw on your website that you are, well, I'll let you talk about them. It looks like two. You have a Daughters of and, and a mall. Am I saying that correctly? Oh, a mall. Yes. Yes. Um, good. I actually should probably put that more prominently on my website because I really believe in it. But so the Amal Foundation um, was started by... Um, so my, I'll just go into how, I, how I'm familiar with this. But my sister, who's a smart, who's way smarter than I am, and, like, I tell my parents all the time that they should be really relieved that they have one overachieving daughter. <laughs> so it takes the pressure off me. But she's, like, getting her doctorate right now in, like, Middle Eastern Studies at MIT. Mm. She was a Fulbright scholar living in Jordan. Mm. But so she lived in Jordan. It's funny because she lived in Paris, and then she lived in Jordan. And she liked Jordan better. And oh, she was wow. like, oh, the French, she, because you know what? There's such like the hospitality mm-hmm, in Jordan mm-hmm. is absolutely insane. Like before I went, my sister was like, this is a culture of recognition. Like when you're walking down the street, it's not like in New York, which is like, I mean, I, also, I love New York. Yeah. Yeah. And that's almost a sign of respect. Like there's so many people, but in Jordan, like you make eye contact, you mm-hmm. know, and it's like, where are you from? It's like, oh, Enrica. Um, and people are like, well, there's just so much like. I don't know, kindness. I understand why she loved it so much. Like I'm, I'm really desperate to go back. But mm. when we were there, we volunteered at um, Baka, Bakwa, B-A, oh my God, C-A-Q-A, I believe. Do not quote me on that. But so that was a <laughs> we'll put it in the show camp. notes. Send it to me. We'll, we'll put it in the show okay, notes. Great. Okay. <laughs> um, it's for Palestinian refugees. Mm. And it was just so, it was such an amazing experience just to see you know, these kids and who don't have, you know, 
who don't have a ton compared to compared to a lot of people, citizens of the world. Like you know, refugees are given. I think that I can't. I'm obviously not being very, very eloquent. It was an amazing experience. To, like spend time with these kids, and like they had um, pen pals in the U.S. And mm. it was like right after Hurricane Sandy. Okay. So I have to say, a lot of New York kids were a little bit of of hype, like you know tall tales. They're like, this cab was floating in the streets, blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, you're from New York, my friends. You know, like my friend Wendy's from New York. Look at this letter she wrote me. And just, there was just so much excitement and like, it costs so little like to, to help these, to help these people. And then, um, you know, afterwards we got lunch with a Palestinian family. Um, and our host, I think was around Biff's age or my age, Biff is my sister. Hmm. You know, he had us for lunch with his family and my sister, was like Katie, like the food's gonna be really good, but like eat slowly. Like it's endless. Like you sit down there, like eat as much as you love me. And like there's just there's just so much like <laughs> kindness and like they were so welcoming. My dad, I think it was my dad, made the mistake of complimenting a mirror on the wall. They're like, you must have it. You must have it. And he was like, Oh my God, like no, like we can't even take it back. He's like, they're like, we'll ship it to you. Like you can't comp like there's just it was just so wonderful, and particularly like growing up, I grew up outside of New York and New Jersey, and you know, nine after nine eleven, you know, nine eleven really mm-hmm. devastated like mm-hmm. you know a lot of um, you know workers in my air in my area like Summit, Madison, Morristown, and you know just watching Homeland, and there's just you don't realize you know how pervasive like cultural stereotypes or like prejudice can be so insidious, you don't even realize that you have it, you mm-hmm. know, because the first time that I was in Jordan, I heard the call to prayer, it like made me nervous. I'm like, yeah. why is this making me nervous? And it's like, oh, because it signals a terrorist attack on Homeland. And then like by the end of the trip, I found it like calming and, you know, just, just realizing, I don't know, for me, that was like probably the most that. And then before I was a professional travel writer, I'd say that had the biggest impact on me where I came home and I really wanted to, I really wanted to sort of find a way to stay involved with that region of the world or like help people, help refugees in that part of the world. And, you know, like a typical lazy, not even lazy, but I feel like it's very easy to feel helpless or hopeless. Like you Mm want to help, you don't know how. Yeah. And I remember the first year it was like, okay, my sister was like, if you raise a thousand dollars, like if you do fundraising, like, you know, we can all, you, they can have coats for the winter. Like it costs nothing. And obviously do I get my act together? Not fully until my sister's friends, um, Maya Perman and Julie Whitaker, they started this foundation. It's called the Amal Foundation. And so, yeah, that's my long-winded answer to the charity I'm involved with. It's your episode. You take it where you want it to go. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I'm such a rambler. But so it's an NGO, and it's founded. I did a couple stories on it because they're in their 20s. It's founded by 20-something, sort of supporting 20-somethings, students, in Jordan, living in the Sitari refugee camp. So it's, Syri- it's focusing on Syrian refugees mm-hmm. and it's um, raising money for them to be able to go to college. Um, oh, awesome. And the universities are within, the, are, you know, in Jordan, they're within the Middle East and these are people who are dedicated to sort of rebuilding their communities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, lessening like brain drain and also like there are so many worthy applicants and worthy students, like some who literally like were a year, like a year away from finishing their college degree. And then, you know, there isn't, you know, suddenly their opportunities are so limited. And so I, and I have to do one again and actually in a couple of months, but so I do these fundraising events in New York um, and $4,000 sends someone to, um, 
to university for a full year. It's like crazy. nothing. It's nothing. And I think we, we've sent several um, people to college since, and, you know, it's amazing. People, you know, the students are, like, top of their class. Um, and just hearing the stories of, like, like wait, I don't know. One of the, one of the um, applicants who... One of the scholarship recipients, like, works with, like, mental, with mentally challenged kids mm, in the mm. refugee camp, puts on plays, like, mm. teaching people English, like, just, you know, just so much, there's, it's such an inspiration, and it's such a, it's a great, it's a great organization, because every dollar goes directly to the scholarships, you know, there's no overhead for advertising, or mm. nobody takes a fee, yeah. it's truly just, okay, like, if we hit the 4,000 mark, if we hit the 4,000 mark, you know, and just, and then you get to see, you know, these people thrive. Like and someone, um, I think it was, I think it was Muhammad last year, like made a video, his friends, he and his friend made a video to thank, to thank us for yeah. um, being able to send him to school. And it was just so cool. I'm like, still in touch, still in touch with everyone. And, um, you know, it's just, and stuff like that builds relationships between, you know, the U.S. and the Middle East. just you know, finding a way to show that not everyone is Donald Trump also. Like, so I think travel is great um, in general, but that's why, I, I don't know, I'm really passionate about refugees, and I think that anything, you know, anything that you can do to support these people who oftentimes, I don't know, even when I was doing my first year that I did this, it was before the real outcry um, after, like, the um, refugee ban, you know, when New York Times posted, you know, like, Anne Frank today is a Syrian girl, and I think there was a lot more of awareness about, you know, these people are innocent victims mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. you know. But the first year, like, Venmo held a lot of the payments because it said Syria on it. Oh. You know, as if just having saying anything Syria-related, you're a terrorist. I mean, that was ridiculous. And then, you know, I had some feedback from feedback. I had some ignorant comments from, like, people that... I formally kind of respected, like, well, why would we help? Why would we help terrorists? Or like, after the after the bus um, bombing, or in New York City, I got some like message, like, oh, look at where your funds are going. Like, it's amazing how pervasive hate is. Hate's very easy, and I think it takes. It's easier. I think it's easier to be unhappy than happy. I think it's easier to hate than to like than to respect or love. And I think that nowadays, when like you know, geopolitical climate is like. I don't know. I'm sure things have been worse, <laughs> but I think it's more important than ever to like find ways to connect with people. Well, so I think that story on their link yeah. on in the show notes. And if people want to participate with that, they can just click right on it, find out more information, contact them, how to get involved, donate money. It'll be right in the show notes. You can just click right on it. So we'll do Perfect. that. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about not to transition, you know, so quickly. But let's talk. No, let's do it. Yeah. So what was your first travel gig? Um, I, so I just started out freelance writing about like two years ago. Um, and I wanted good. to write about, yeah, thank you. I wanted to write about travel, but you know, I had sent a story and like story ideas and they wouldn't necessarily get picked up. I think it's like a pretty tough industry to mm-hmm. break into. I think that, um, you know, you can send us, oh, like, I would pitch stories about Scotland. They're like, okay, like, well, we have someone who's, like, been living on that one, like, mountainside for, like, two years. So we're good <laughs> on that. So I think that this is important to note. Like, I travel writing was, like, my dream job. Like, it still is. It's obviously, in reality, like, it's harder than, I don't know. It's, it's really fun. But I, I thought being, like, a travel writer was, like, 
I didn't understand how that ever happened to people. You know, like, how mm-hmm. are you going to Costa Rica for work and you're writing sure. about it? You know, sure. because as you can tell, I love to talk and share my opinion on everything. <laughs> so that's sort of like a dream. Not only like when I would come back from personal trips, you know, I, I just preach about wherever I've been and I'm so excited. And so to be able to share that enthusiasm and to, to write about things that I'm passionate about um, is really a dream, but it wasn't super accessible at first. So I just pitched like a maniac um, to all these different outlets. Like I ended up writing a lot about politics and refugees and dating because those things go hand in hand Mm -hmm. Um, and (laughs) literature. um, And so every assignment I got, I would get like super excited and that's, advice I have too is like don't wait until you're in the New Yorker to like give a damn because people are going to be reading that and I wrote about travel for Hudson Settler which is this luggage company that um like a friend of mine had started and they had a blog and they had travel stories so I I spent so much time on these travel stories that you know weren't really read by by much of anyone but I actually someone in the travel industry had read a story I wrote about like a date. I went on like an apple picking date, something in Elite Daily that was like funny. Then they went to my website and they saw, oh, she has all this travel content. And then I sort of like, I guess I got discovered. I don't even know, but that was, I, you know, then I was invited to like some luncheons and then that led to like my first trip, which was to, to Kauai, which was amazing. And that's where I met more travel editors. So I don't know. I think that Publish, working hard on whatever assignment you have, not being afraid of rejection, like pitching. Mm. You know, it's not personal if an editor likes your, likes your idea or not. You know, don't let it hold you back. Just yeah. keep going. You don't know what else um, they have going on. It's not personal. You're good. Yeah, no, totally. And yeah, just working hard on whatever assignment you get. I, because I, I feel like I almost don't have like good advice for how to get into travel writing because I'm happy I did, but like I didn't. I'm, I'm impressed I did. <laughs> it seems like really hard, but yeah, I keep pitching and a lot of people say to start their own blogs, but my issue, my hesitancy with that is that you have to get an audience for your blog. But like, if you have an article in like, I don't know, like Britain Co, that's like 150 million readers and mm-hmm. it's going to be sort of blasted everywhere. And, and that being said, then if you do have a story, like maybe on travel destinations in Mexico, you know, make sure that you write the hell out of it because a lot of people are going to be reading it and that's sure. sort of how you get on the radar of, of um, yeah, like different members of the travel industry. But I would say just like focus on, you don't have to have traveled far to be a travel writer. A lot of people actually prefer it if you write really about what you know, in which case I would be writing a lot of stories about New York and New Jersey, you know, like I've gone to Rhode Island and Wyoming a bunch, but I do think that there's a value to writing an insider's guide and a value to writing actually like, cause it's hard for me as a resident of New York city to know, I know where I think you should go, but also like someone who's coming from Singapore has play, have places that they want to see. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like I think that there's value to, to write, to write about how to travel as a traveler. Um, and I think that like as a travel writer, I would try to come away with multiple angles. So I've been talking, I'm, trying to plan out this trip to Buenos Aires and I want to do, you know, I want to spend some part of my trip, like really hitting off like the key highlights, the places you have mm-hmm. to go. Mm-hmm. And then another part of the trip writing about this sort of like 
we're talking about like which sort of neighborhood I should focus on that's really un- unknown. Okay. So you get multiple different types of angles. Gotcha. So you've traveled to all 50 states. Which state mm-hmm. has your heart? Wyoming. Um, I... So growing up, like we really did, we did cross country trips. Like my whole family, my mom, my dad, they've they've both been to more states, like countries than I have. I think my mom's in her in the seventies or something. That's pretty good. But um, yeah, I don't. Yeah, seventies, sixties. My dad's in the sixties. He needs to keep up. You guys should but, get those like scratch off maps and have a competition. We did. We do. It's like very serious. We connected. We collected like national park training cards. Like I'm the only kid though who's been to all 50 states, which is, you know, there are four of us because yeah. I'm the only one who has Hawaii and Alaska because oh, I nice. went with my mom on a press trip, actually, oh, which is cool. really fun because she was president of, like, the National Newspaper Association, so she would have trips that, you know, would be sort of around the world, around the country, and she would take us. But back to Wyoming, we, <laughs> I don't think there's nothing like Jackson Hole. Like, I don't know. There's really – it's so – it's astoundingly beautiful. And it's because the Grand Tetons are like the teenagers of the Rockies. So they're not as like rounded over as, you know, no offense to Colorado. I mean, Colorado is amazing, but just on a sheer, <laughs> just take your breath away. Um, I and I think it's also heard be- them yeah. called the teenagers of the Rockies before. Cause yeah. we just moved from Colorado. So I am super familiar with those mountains, but that is, <laughs> I really like that description. I'm going to use that. <laughs> You, yeah, you should. I think my mom told me that. They're like, yeah, I think the reason it's my favorite state is like really linked to my mom mm. um, because like the Teton Pass, like, cause you, I mean, like traveler's tip, like don't fly into Jackson Hole. It's super expensive. But like if you fly into like Salt Lake City or mm-hmm. I don't know, Denver, or if you're like my family and you're insane and you just want to drive from New Jersey, go for it. But you, you know, we'd be like, to okay. go through Kansas though. Mm. I, I love Kansas though. Oh, we were chasing, tor- we faced tornadoes there once. Okay. Too. I like everywhere, <laughs> truly. I'm like very easy to please. But I've never um, I do think there's something there. dramatic about that sky, mm. that heartland sky, you know. It is I don't we know. used to live in Oklahoma and the the way the clouds layer up and because the cloud ceiling is so high, it's really interesting. And then when you, because, you know, I'm, we are kind of intimately uh, familiar with tornadoes in several states. Um, when the tornadoes come through, the clouds, they're so much closer to the ground, like you can almost touch them. It's craziness. Um, yeah. And I was such a tourist hiding in my tornado shelter and the neighbors are out there watching them go by laughing at me in, oh my God. in my hidey hole. But yeah, I, I hear you about the sky. It's, it's something else. It is. And it's, I mean, just driving through too, like, I know I keep talking about, oh, it's so vast. I feel like I've said that about a million different, a million different places, but it is like the, you know, it's like you can look and for miles, you know, all you see are planes. And I don't know, I was really, I was interested growing up in like stories of like settlers on the prairie. And like, Mm -hmm. I was really fascinated um, with Native American history Mm -hmm. um, as well. So, you know, that... Kansas, Oklahoma. Yes, yeah, so people we who are in Native in... American history should read *Killers of the Flower Moon*. Oh, <laughs> what a I don't plug know I have. Book. Oh my God, it's about Kansas. It's unbelievable. I don't want to give anything away, but okay. it's about pretty much like it was called like the first underground reservation because there are oil reserves, and you'll see. Read okay. it. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll find it. I'll put a link to that in the show notes too. 
Um, okay, good. So the wild thing about the Wild West, if you will, is that it still really is quite wild in the sense that, I mean, we lived in Oklahoma probably in 2009, 10, and they, no, maybe 8, 2008, and they had just, that, they were celebrating their centennial. They were just turning 100, and we were there for, they reenacted the Chisholm Trail cattle drive. So they, they had been raising these longhorn steer for 13 years in order to prepare for this event. They drove them from Texas up to Kansas, which is where historically they would put them on trains and ship them east to feed Civil War soldiers. So that's some oh, wildness. Wow. And so yeah. like we would so we went and hung out with the cowboys in the in the meadow while they were all their long these longhorn steer were just grazing and they were I mean they were they had no modern conveniences with them. They did everything as authentic as they could. So they had a chuck wagon. It was it was a wild time, but we watched them do the reenactment of the land claiming. So, you know, like the you know, you there's a land rush they shoot off a gun and you have a Conestoga wagon and you're racing as fast as you can to pull a stake out of the ground. And the families in this town were the, are still the original families that did the land rush. So they, they still have their oh original acreage. Yeah, it's wild. And like you can get the whole history of the town through the undertakers because they're the grandkids of the original settlers. It's just wild. So anyway, I, I am, I'm with you on the heartland. If you get a chance to go out and Go to Wyoming. Go to Wyoming. Go to Oklahoma. I can't say I'm a fan of Kansas because I've probably driven that state end to end like 15 times, and it is a long, flat drive. We like to say it you is. can watch your dog run away for miles, um, <laughs> but yeah. But we've also never chased a tornado through it. So if you go during tornado season, have at it. But anyway, yeah. All and right. A lot of people haven't really been. I'm from the East Coast, and it's interesting. Like, I have friends who've been to the Alps who haven't, like, been to, you know, Wyoming, Montana. And I feel like that's, like, that that part of the world. I mean, our our natural heritage is, like, really one of the things that really does actually make America great. And, like, particularly mm-hmm. now that, you know, these national parks are, like, oh, like pretty much just, like, their, you know, their livelihood, their very existence is threatened by people who... Whatever you don't need to get into politics. It's important. It's more important now than ever to support them. So yeah. Oh man. So okay. I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna go down that tangent. You have to watch Parks and Rec. That's all I have to say. Okay, I will. It's on your list. You gotta watch it. <laughs> okay. So we're an hour into recording. Should we get to the topic of today's podcast? Yes. And that is new destinations for the experienced traveler. So I am going to just rifle off some destinations, like some regions of the world that Americans typically go to. And then I want you to kind of say, this is where people typically go. And this is my, this is what I'm suggesting to you as a new and exciting place that you should go. That's a little more off the beaten path. X, Y, Z. Does that sound Mm -hmm. good? Yes. Okay, cool. Well then let's go kind of in order of accessibility from the United States on our Northern border. Let's go Canada. Okay. So for Canada, um, I do know, I feel like Toronto, Montreal, like the larger cities can be very popular. Mm-hmm. What's really beautiful there is the, is Georgian Bay, mm. which is like this collection of like thousands, I think it's almost 3,000 islands, miniature yeah. evergreen islands on these beautiful lakes. And some of the islands like are still like uninhabited. 
and it's just absolutely gorgeous. And I highly recommend going there. Awesome. All right, let's move south, Mexico. So for Mexico, I think a lot of people are, um, you know, Quintana Roo is very popular, which I mean, I think it should be because yeah. Cancun brings in a ton of business and Tulum, you know, has become the chicest influencer spot in the world. But mm. also for a reason, there's jungle, there's beach, it's gorgeous. Um, if you want something similar to Tulum, I would say to go to Belize, okay. which is used to be the former site of like the former Mayan capital. And I don't know, I'm fascinated by Mayan history and heritage. And um, it sort of has a similar vibe to what Tulum I would say Ambergris K, Ambergris K, San Pedro has like a similar vibe to what Tulum was like 10 years ago where it's less developed. There's this um, place called Paradise Beach. Mm. And if you go to Secret, it's called Secret Paradise Beach, I believe. Very descriptive. Okay. If you okay. go to Secret Paradise Beach Bar, like, and you take out a jet ski, you know, you can just, you know, you could be on the water for seemingly forever. And it's just like such open wilderness. Like there's so many beautiful birds, like, the wildlife there is insane. They have jaguars everywhere. Um, and then in Mexico, I'd say Guadalajara, um, I feel like, and tequila, Mexico, like who knew agave plants, like very beautiful. Mm. So I think that's cool. There's all this focus now on also tequila tasting, which I'm all here for, you know, why limit it to wine? That's right. Yeah. And then I've heard, and I haven't been, I was supposed to go in January, this place whole box, which is actually not too far from, Tulum, I believe, is also like really, really gorgeous. So. Okay, in Mexico, not Belize. In Mexico. Okay. Yeah. Just wanted to clarify. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. let's go. Okay. So we already talked Belize. Do we want to do anywhere else in South America? So I'm actually going on like my, to South America for my first time for the first time in like two weeks. Mm-hmm. I need to get my visa. That reminds me to for Brazil now. <laughs> I know I'm stressed about it, but I'm doing this, um, tour with, it's like nature eco tours in the Amazon and Mm -hmm. the expedition is like, it's like hundred percent. It's really Mm eco-friendly, very green, which is important, Mm -hmm. but also goes further into the Rio Negro, like part of the Amazon than any other expedition. Mm. So that's something that is off the beaten path. I think really cool, but I can obviously Look for my story in like two months or a month. All right. Well, if we're you want to talk back. about it, give me a call. We'll record it. I will. All right. So what about the UK? If we're going east now. Um, for the UK, I would say to go to Cardiff in Wales. It's like super, super cool. Very. It's like, an, it's like a trendy, like really fun city. No shortage. I know we're talking about castles earlier. No shortage of castles. And just it's like much more... It's much more underrated. I think Wales in general is underrated as, as a destination. And then I'd also say, even though I think it's become way more popular anyway, the Scottish Highlands. Um, yeah. I mean, they're just, there's nothing like it. You know, and Edinburgh. I sort of story on Edinburgh. I went with my mom after mm. grad school on like a mother-daughter trip, and it was just heaven. It was just like scotch, cows, <laughs> plaid, everything, and just like... It, it almost looks like you've landed on the moon. Like it, the landscape reminded me of a mixture of like Iceland mixed with some Finland, which makes sense geographically, but like sure. it is very beautiful and people are very kind. So people are kind that. and it was not bombed and they didn't, tear, yeah. they didn't tear down their statues. And so as you go down, what's what you'll come across is the Royal Mile you'll just notice that there's just statues and monuments to everyone. They just kept building. They didn't necessarily tear it down. So 
you need some time in Edinburgh, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's busy in the summer cause you have the fringe festival and you have, uh, the Royal Edinburgh tattoo, the military tattoo, uh, which if you haven't gone, Catherine, it is a thing to behold. We're going there this summer. Um, but, really? Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's wild. Kilts and bagpipes for miles. And then all of the guests performing military, uh, performance groups, like rifle teams for other militaries around the world. It's, it's a wild time. And, uh, and it happens at night. It's at Edinburgh Castle. They kind of wall off the entry to the castle, and they put bleachers up. And you have to. I mean, we we got there. It was uh, sold out, and we hadn't planned for it. The kids wouldn't have been able to handle it anyway. But it's on the bucket list for the summer. Uh, it's it's a wild time. Like I think they put like fireworks on these bagpipes, or maybe they're on the rifles. There's a lot of fireworks involved, so it's a good time. Anyway, I just love that for future. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk Europe in general. Okay. Um, so here I would really have to say Finland. And I think that we talked about Finland earlier. Sure, yep. Didn't we? So I mentioned that. Um, and then also, you know, Amsterdam has is like almost over-touristed at this point, but like Rotterdam and The Hague, mm-hmm. really amazing places to visit. Like it's the 350th, oh my God, I believe it's 350. The 350th year of Rembrandt. Let oh, me see. Wonderful. Let me make sure. And yes, it's the 350th anniversary of his death, and there are all these amazing exhibits around the world, but like particularly like this year in like the Netherlands. Mm. And as someone who found art history sort of inaccessible yeah. in college, mm-hmm. like I just it, I, I don't know. I met with um, I met with people who like work for the Rembrandt Museum, and and I'm going in a couple weeks to mm. Holland. Cool. And Rembrandt is really an artist for our times. You know, the more money he made, the more he spent. You know, he just, he got criticized because it was like, oh, well, he only paints pictures of himself and naked mistresses, which he did. He, like, originated the selfie. Someone used to notify Paris Hilton. But, you know, he's just a fascinating character. And I know you, people are always, I mean, I was, like, an English major, and they're always like, you know, it's not, you know, separate the writer from the right from the work, separate the artist from the work. But... For me, in terms of like appreciating art, like I do love to know, I want to know about all of Picasso's breakups and it helps me appreciate his things. So, you know, Rembrandt, Dutch masters, they're just like us. So yes, visit, visit, um, visit, um, different cities in the Netherlands that a lot of people really just sort of, you know, going to Amsterdam, excuse me, going to the Netherlands and only going to Amsterdam is sort of like going to America and only going to New York. Um, so Definitely more to see there. And then I would say some of the biggest revelations that I discovered um, were in Switzerland, actually. Um, Switzerland, I think, sort of has a, I don't know, I think they have the market on, like, beautiful alpine villages and cities. I don't know how everything is so clean. Mm. I do know, actually, because there are, like, laws where people have to put up flowers in their windows. So, I mean, as a visitor, it's much appreciated. But Mm. the capital of Switzerland, Bern, was I think is super, super underrated. Mm. Like it's this beautiful, beautiful city that has, um, like they have the Schweizerhof um, in Bern, which is like this like beautiful grand old hotel. It's walking distance from the train mm. and the city's walkable. And it's just like, they have, they have live bears. Like they have like the Ugh. Baron, the Baron park. Um, every there's, it's like all based on like this um, history of, Oh my God, I really don't want to summarize this. Someone killed a bear. <laughs> like, an, like, some, like a 
famous. I think it was like a duke. And, but so as a result, like around the city, there are like bear flags everywhere. It's just, it's insane. Beautiful watchtowers. And it's super underrated. There aren't a lot of, I mean, last time I visited, like people don't really add it as much to their list when thinking about Switzerland. I think they should. And then on that note, I guess Bad Regaz in Switzerland, hmm. which I never heard of. It's home to like, it's one of the most, it's one of the oldest spas in like the entire world. Like hmm. it's this ancient thermal spring, but people, it's called Tamina Gorge. Hmm. People didn't go into it for hundreds of years because like oh. they thought there was a dragon living in there. Hmm. And then some crazy guys were like, whatever, like we'll find out if there's a dragon. And they go in and instead of a dragon, they find this like natural spring water. Score. The Grand Resort Badragaz is like one of the most like beautiful, gorgeous hotels I've ever stayed at in my entire life. Mm. Like, and so Roger Federer is always hanging out there, mm. and like Martina Ingas. I'm I hope I'm saying her name right. Hingas. She got married there <laughs> a couple years ago, so the Swiss know about it, but I don't think as many. Um, I don't think the other travelers do. And it looks like it's like near where like like where Heidi was literally invented. So you can go on these bike rides to like the various wine regions, going through these medieval villages. It's just like heaven. And really, I mean, I don't think you can go wrong with like Alps, wine, cheese, spa. Like amazing. Let's go. Yeah. And then I, yeah. And then Pontresina, I would say it's right next to to St. Moritz. Um, but it's also like, I guess I was told like in Switzerland, like the Swiss vacation in Pontresina and, you know, people from other countries vacation in St. Moritz. I love okay. St. Moritz too, but mm. Pontresina is like this beautiful village. that's like right next door and it's home to like the Grand Hotel Kronenhof, which is like accidentally Wes Anderson's max. Literally, I felt like I was a queen <laughs> for a couple. Switzerland is good at making you feel that way. Also because the hospitality there, like I feel like Swiss five-star is different than five-star elsewhere because mm. there's such a premium placed on, on service and hospitality and, you know, versus sometimes I feel like if I'm in a really nice hotel in, for example, like New York City, sometimes I find that like they communicate their exclusivity by being rude. While in <laughs> Switzerland, like it's not like people are really, really kind. Like, and I think that is, you know, that is premium hospitality if you're in a beautiful palace and they're making you feel like home. And then Lausanne also, which is like right, um, which is on Lake Geneva. It's is sort that of near Geneva. I've been saying it Lausanne. Wrong. Yeah. Lausanne. Lausanne. Yeah. I have to apologize for any of my mispronunciations. Oh, no. You're here, probably is, right. I don't know. I'm a writer, but I'm not. Sometimes it's embarrassing you say things loud and you realize you've it wrong in your head. Shoot. I know. <laughs> but it's such a young city. It's like the home of the Olympics. And it's like astounding looking like they have like I don't know there's like a harbor with actual swans hanging out you can take the boat across to France come mm. back wine tasting um that's an all yeah, right and then day Budapest I'd say Budapest is amazing mm. in Hungary which I think is it's very popular with Brits it's like the number one bachelorette bachelor destination oh my one of them um but you know it's super inexpensive there's so much culture and history in in Budapest it's amazing I mean just like where it's interesting, it's interesting visiting Budapest now because basically these young entrepreneurs looked at these dilapidated buildings that are in the neighborhood, the Jewish quarter. And mm. before World War II, the Jewish quarter was bustling. And then after World War II, like, it was like deserted. And I mean, the, the Hungarian history in World War II is so devastating, um, partially also because, unlike Vienna, but like they, 
people in Budapest really revolted and really tried to fight against the Nazis and then just mm. resulted in like massive, massive deaths for people all across the city. But, mm. you know, you, there's, I don't know, I, I think you've been, but do you see the shoes along the Danube in Budapest? Mm. I have like been. these. Oh my God, it's, it's unbelievable. It's such an amazing city, but they have like these like children's shoes, like a statue of all, cause they would have to go there to be executed. Oh my goodness. I don't mean to, I don't mean to devolve into World War II history here, but they turned but it's and then the year. Soviet. This is the year, dude. Yeah. I mean, it's it the 75th anniversary of the D-Day anniversary. So there, I mean, if you can get some place that was significant with the, you know, oh, there's so much history and so many events happening for World War II this year. So if you can be somewhere, yeah, I think it's May 24th. Fifth, am I right about that? Um, I think so. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe it's a tw- okay. I'm gonna look it up right now. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is the year. No, I mean that is exactly why we want to go to um, some of these sites in Poland because I mean I think it's the Warsaw Uprising. I mean they were rioting through the sewers and they were sneaking up on Nazis and like attacking them and like taking their city back and freeing people and and eventually you know the Nazis came in and rolled on them and squashed the rebellion but that sort of fighting spirit I just and you know oh I love it I mean I don't love the event but I like you know the the tenacity of the people and the the conviction and yeah anyway yeah it's important to keep that history alive too and even like when I was in Vienna you know there's um, I met with like different historians and stuff and they're like, you know, it's like a part of our past, obviously I'm not proud of it. It's horrific, but it's important to like, re- to remember mm-hmm. and to acknowledge. And I don't know, but so in, in Budapest, I have these things after the Jewish quarter was sort of evacuated abandoned under the Soviets. It's Hungary has been through a lot mm-hmm. after the Soviets. It was like left and it just sort of a lot of these buildings and warehouses and storefronts just were crumbling because nobody had been living in them and nobody was maintaining them. So some young, what I would like to, you know, equate to like Williamsburg hipsters were like, you know what, let's turn these empty warehouses into like an insane Wes Anderson type bar. Cool. So you walk in, they're called ruin bars and you walk in and like, and nothing makes sense and everything makes sense. Like you'll <laughs> see like a stag head, like, I don't know, there are lights everywhere. It's just like, it looks like, it looks like an... Some of them look like old Victorian houses, but like with like bars everywhere. It's just super fun. Like I think that, I mean, Budapest and like Key West, honestly, for the outdoor <laughs> bar scene, like it's yeah. just, it's really cool. So I would say Budapest too. And then, um, let me just know, quick was, say, yeah. um, D Day is actually June sixth. Don't go anywhere on May twenty fifth. Nothing will be happening. <laughs> I actually June met 6th. with the National World War II Museum recently. Um, oh in New Orleans and heard all about it. And, you know, it's something that people should look at where events are happening around where they live. Cause I feel like it's something that's going to happen globally. Mm-hmm. I hope so. I really hope so. Mm-hmm. Um, do, are we done with Europe? Yeah. Okay. Let's talk Asia. So Asia, I would say, um, Zian in China, I was just there this fall. And I think that, you know, a lot of people go to Shanghai, Beijing, I'm obsessed with Beijing. So, but you know, Shanghai, Beijing, Hong Kong, but Xi'an is fascinating. It's like more inland, but then the Terracotta Warriors Museum mm-hmm. is insane. Like it's basically um, the same emperor who united the Great Wall also. Like I think he built his first warrior at like 13 to protect him in the afterlife. Like they're hollow inside for their spirits and farmers discover them in the exact location where they stand now. Oh. And just really cool. And then Japan, I would say, 
you know, to, I think Kyoto, I think is getting much more popular, but like Osaka, like mm. checking out the seaside towns, the sea of Japan is spectacular. Um, but yeah, those are places I would recommend. I, this turkey kennel is Asia. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. It does. I mean, it does, but yeah. Should I get out a map? I mean, we can talk about Turkey. Go for it. Uh, Istanbul, I would say, is like the most. Istanbul like took my breath away, honestly. Mm. And now Turkish Airlines has like a stopover program, mm. and oh, they nice. fly everywhere. Literally, like I was looking into flights to Nepal, and it was like Turkish Airlines flies like three times a day from all over the world. So, oh. but they do a stopover program as I, an Iceland Air does too. Yeah, I talked about Iceland Air. Have you done it? No, I just went straight. I just went straight to Reykjavik, which is amazing. I see it like the Blue Lagoon, but okay, I want yep. to. Yeah, me too. And I think it makes a lot of sense. Like if you have, I don't know. I think it makes a lot of sense. Say you have like a five day trip, you know, just like carving in a night. I'm not one of those people who thinks like you need to be somewhere for a week to really. No, you can be present somewhere for three hours and get more out of it than someone would get in three days. So I think just like you know, these opportun- opportunity to see new countries and cities is. Important. Cool. So then what if we go to um, like a Polynesian type region? Um, so I'm going to, so I'm going to talk about Kauai because it's part of the Polynesian archipelago. Sure. Polynesia. Um, Kauai is like, I think one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen in my life. Like comparing it to Jackson Hole, which is funny because a lot of people in Jackson Hole go to Kauai in the winter, like we'll go to Kauai in like split time. It's just like gorgeous. And there's such like an interesting history. It's like the, like the island was never caught. It's like the oldest island, I believe. Oh my God. I was there last year and I, I literally wrote a story about it really recently. But so yeah, there's Your like a brain fascinating... has taken in a lot of things. It's all right. <laughs> it has. And I'm just worried about, yeah, I want to make sure I have it all straight, but like the Nepali coast sailing up to the Nepali coast, I really, helicopters are, like, helicopter tours are also great, but I really recommend seeing this by boat because, I mean, only in, only in Hawaii, like, literally is there a rainbow and then a humpback whale breaching in front of it. It's just like a joke. Like, how does this exist? Yeah. But going around the, you know, I was getting excited because you see these mountains coming into view and I'm like, oh my God, like, this is amazing. Everyone's like, you haven't seen anything yet. Like, sure. Then, you know, you cross this, I remember you turn the corner and like, I saw like the the Nepali like the mountain range I was just, I cried like I was just so moved I was humbled I was grateful like everyone tries to be after like green juice and yoga like I felt that <laughs> looking at the Nepali coast so that is something I recommend I'm going to also I'm going to New Zealand in October I was there like many many years ago mm-hmm. but I'm excited about also checking out more like under the radar like lesser known destinations there as well mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like I'm going to be hiking or heli hiking Franz Joseph Glacier. And I mean, it's going to be really cool. So cool. I'm excited. It was created like 14,000 years ago. Um, and like the history of the Maori, of the um, Maori culture there is also super fascinating. So New Zealand too. Cool. So with, with New Zealand, are we going to cross Australia off or you have something for us in Australia? That, well, also, this is something I want to do and I haven't done, but Tasmania. Okay. That's been on my to do list for forever. But, I mean, I also, Australia, I mean, when I was there, there with my family and we drove the length of the country, we did a, we did a loop. And 
why I would argue that we spent more time in the outback than anyone needs to. Like it was a really unique and cool experience. I mean, we were there for a while though, so it does take time, but you do get a sense of like the, the vastness of the outback. And I think, I think the best way to see a country or a city or anything is really by train or car. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's something where the Swiss travel pass and the year rail, I really highly recommend people traveling in Switzerland, people traveling in Europe, it's really easy. You can plan your trips in advance. And like for the URL, I did um, the Czech Republic, Austria, you know, Czech Republic, Vienna. Oh my God, let me go cities. Prague, Vienna, Budapest <laughs> in a week. And it was spectacular. So. so I think people get confused on how the URL pass goes and you know, how they work. We won't get into it. It is a little confusing. It's kind of like the spoken hub system, but uh, if you want a travel professional to to work that out for you, I just just email me. I have a couple of good ones that I'll point you to that can work out the best pass for you because some people find that confusing. So there you go. But I agree. Yeah, or else for me, the British Isles was a great opportunity to cruise because you can get to, well, except for two ports, you could get some faster and to more options by sea than you could driving. So, uh, but it just depends, but yeah, land and sea, I I agree. Um, so what about if we talk cold regions? So I just went into, I think I, the Finnish Lapland, I would say is like my biggest, like the biggest thing that I've learned to go. Everyone should go. It is a little bit more expensive. Um, but it's totally worth it. And it's like pretty spectacular. And so you can stay really, in like a gla- like a ice igloo. Oh my god, yes! And everyone, I, it's funny. I got a lot of comments like, you know, I post pictures like, "Are you cold?" Like, no. The Finns have thought of everything. Like, you're never cold. <laughs> and like, I and like for people who are worried about going to a cold destination like that, where literally we landed in Helsinki, I was there for spring, and they were like, "Oh, it's a wonderful day. It's plus three. <laughs> no, it's like, you know, human beings. It's crazy. We, I don't know, but. They give you these insane snowsuits that are not only, for me, my dream is always to feel like I'm in a large sleeping bag. So I felt yes. extremely <laughs> like I was living my best life the whole time, but they keep you warm and you can rent them. And it's, I packed so much for this trip, like, and I really didn't need to because I was in my snowsuit all day, every day. But awesome. um, I would definitely say the Lap- Lapland. And I was there in the wintertime. Um, but the best time to see the Northern Lights, I was told, actually, is in the fall because when it's snowing, you can't see the lights, mm. but they have these amazing, I see it at like the Northern Lights Ranch in Levy, um, which was spectacular. Like the, there was like, I felt like I was waking up in like, I don't know, it was glass. It wasn't an igloo, but it was like pretty much like a glass cube. Like mm-hmm. I was in a glass dome essentially a little bit but it was shaped like a box. Okay. Wow, I am not great at writing about architecture, apparently, even though. So, <laughs> Did, um, don't you have really an fantastic. article in Architecture Digest? Yes, yes <laughs> yeah, I know. But it can be, I don't know. I'm sorry. And then Elas, Y-L-L-A-S, is, like, more remote, but it's, like, that is, like, also amazing. And we stayed at y- at L7, yes, L7, which is, like, this really cool lodge, and, like, the owner, the owners were amazing. And Rovaniemi, is like more of like the town mm-hmm. in um, in Lapland, and it's where Santa Claus lives. And like there, we sit at the Arctic Light Hotel, mm. um, Arctic Lights Hotel. Pretty much all the I was blown away by like the accommodations available. Like just that it was just everything was just so beautiful. But also like the way that 
you know, it played off the natural surroundings. Like it's, it's like very, I can't, I can never pronounce this word, H-Y-G-G-E, even though I think it's like a Scandinavian term and not Finnish, like hygge, like that term for coziness and like happiness or mm. joy, mm-hmm. like totally, totally feel that there. And yeah, it's definitely a place that a lot of Americans haven't fully, haven't really been yet. So Neat. it's cool. Those are good recommendations. I, so I, I, here's a question for you. Do you think that you are an introvert or an extrovert? Because you are talkative. However, you get onto these, um, when you talk about the expanse and the openness is when you really open up. And so I think that maybe my guess is you might be an, I don't know, an introvert that's charged by nature, recharged by nature. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, I love nature. Um, yeah, I do. I got like very romantic about it all. Um, I don't know. It's funny because like I do at the end of the day though, like I love people. Like for me, for me, like the best thing is always the people mm-hmm. wherever I am. But then, yeah, if I can have like a good, a great squad around me in like the middle of the woods, I'm happy, yeah. I guess. But, um, I don't know because my job now is so I'm either with a million people every day traveling or like I'm alone writing. Yeah. So I think I'm maybe a mix of both. I do think I get energy from being around people though too, but Mm. I definitely have like an introverted love of like, you know, solitude in nature. Yeah. That's cool. You're interesting. That's awesome. All right. Well, Catherine, um, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, end our thing without giving you an opportunity to tell people how to find you. How can people find you online? Cool. So, um, my website, which, um, I share, I like upload all my stories to is www.katherineparkermagyar.com. And I'm on Instagram at Catherine Parker Magyar. And I share all my photos from my trips and Twitter at KPM one, two, three, one. Cause my name is too long for a username there. <laughs> okay. I'm going to put, I will build you a guest profile and they will be able to get all of those links from your little face up in the top of the right of the podcast. They can just click on you and get to all of your information that way. Also. Perfect. Right. Well, is there anything else I've missed or that you want to include before we close out the podcast? Everyone should go to Dominica okay. and Kenya. <laughs> Kenya and Dominica. I realize I never, Kenya is my favorite country I visited and I hate playing favorites. Kenya was the best trip I've ever done now. Uh-huh. And Dominica actually. But Dominica, like I did not even know it was a country, which sounds so dumb, but I really didn't until I was researching a story on unknown Caribbean nations and mm. I learned more about it. It's called the Nature Isle. It's spectacular. They mm. have a year round. I love, I love like the ocean and whales. I am a dweeb about whales as well as open spaces <laughs> apparently, but you know, they have a sperm whale population that lives there year round. And when I was there in March, wow, no, in January, it was me, my captain, Jerry Dawa, who's worked with Animal Planet, BBC, everything, mm-hmm. and just National Geographic out there and whales everywhere. Cool. And we hiked. I did this hike to the Boiling Lake, which is like called like one of the most like, you know, challenging hikes in the Caribbean. One of the most beautiful too. Mm-hmm. It's like Yellowstone in the interior. Like there cool. was like, there were geysers wow. and then there's a boiling lake. It's the second biggest boiling lake in the world aside from New Zealand. Mm. Like the, the topography of the, it looks like a mixture between like New Zealand, Kauai and Yellowstone, which mm. sounds insane, but, and people are so nice. Go there. And Kenya is actually cheaper. I want to say this 
of all the trips I've been on, like Kenya safari was literally like my dream. And I just always had wanted to go to Kenya, something specific to that country. And I think, I think when you do have like a goal or a bucket list like that, like go for it. So I almost feel like your intuition is telling you that you'll love something. I don't Mm -hmm. know. It was spectacular. And I thought that like in order to go, I didn't foresee becoming a travel writer. It was a happy coincidence, but I thought I have to like literally be on my honeymoon because I thought, you know, this is such an expensive undertaking. It's really not. It's really yeah. affordable. But then I stayed at like Fairmont Properties, and which were spectacular, like in Nairobi, and then Yuki and the Masai Mara, and just like it was less expensive than Finland and Switzerland, you know. And I know that I know that Africa, a trip to like. East Africa is like on a lot of people's bucket list. And what I would say is like, look into it, look into the cost and go because it's really, it's accessible. It is. We'll talk sometime about that. I did a semester at uh, Daystar University in, uh, in Athi River there, and they have another campus in Nairobi. So I know Kenya. Well, I used to know Kenya pretty well. It's been a while, but wanted to take the uh, It's amazing. Yeah. I literally had the best experience of my life there. I really did. All right. Well, maybe that's a separate episode. We'll talk soon about that. All right. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, this is Megan Chapa of the Travel Radio Podcast saying good night. listening to a Trav Market Media Network podcast, a podcast designed for you, the travel professional. Is there something you would like to hear or do you have feedback? Please write to us at podcast at travmarketmedia.com. Again, that's podcast with an S at travmarketmedia.com.